0: We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations.
1: You're listening to the ERLC podcast. And your, your, your,
2: your spittle from your chips is going to be all over us.
1: Let's take. Oh my, to a plan. oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my gosh! mute your microphone.
0: I did that one. I'm, on gonna purpose. To, I'm
1: going to I'm gonna struggle to love you when this is over. Well,
0: well, listen, you would not be the first person, and you won't be the last.
1: Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast, where every week we're talking about our work here at the ERLC and focusing on what Christians need to know about the things going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me after a very exhausting and long week are my faithful colleagues and co-host, Lindsay Nicolay.
0: Hello, everybody, from the other side of the SBC annual convention. And um, I'm in a particularly good mood this morning because Brent keeps getting chided for being too loud on his mic. So... It's making me laugh.
1: <laughs> that seems like a good time to bring Brent Leatherwood into this conversation. Brent, say hello. Hey, y'all. And so I would just amend Josh's comment. It was an exhausting and long week, but also a good and affirming week. Absolutely. It was an incredible week, actually. And our reflections uh, on the SPC are really, really positive. In fact... Uh, It was an exhausting week, and so uh, rather than our normal podcast to where we would run down all kinds of things going on at the ERLC and in the world, uh, we're going to spend some time today just bringing our reflections to you on the SBC annual meeting itself. Uh, For several weeks, folks that listen to this podcast regularly know that we were uh, bracing for a very large, like a historically large convention, and we were not sure what kinds of things that might bring. Uh, If you're not familiar with the SBC, it is one giant business meeting, and it's like part family meeting, part family meeting. Part business meeting. And, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of uh, circus thrown in there as well. And it was, it was incredible. And we're excited to uh, just spend some time with you this morning reflecting on that. But before we get to that, at the end of our Exhausting several days uh, in Nashville with all of our beloved Southern Baptist uh, friends and family. We were uh, blessed by the Supreme Court with a major decision in a case that we've been following for more than a year, and we had had so many opportunities for the Supreme Court to release this decision, but of course— Just in the providence of God, they decided to do it on the Thursday, the very day after all of the activities of the annual meeting wrapped up. And so we spent most of our day yesterday that was supposed to be a team-wide day off dealing with Supreme Court issues. And this was the uh, Fulton case that we've talked about so many times. And so, Brent, could you just give us a little bit of insight into what happened uh, with the Fulton case? Yeah, happy to do that, Josh. And so before I begin, I should just
2: uh, preface what I'm about to say with we have a number of explainers and helpful resources about this case. I mean, this is a case that we have been following for years now, and we submitted an amicus brief uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court talking about the religious liberty implications of this. And so uh, all of those are available on our website. But just briefly, uh, what happened in this case was the city of Philadelphia Uh, refused to contract with uh, Catholic Social Services, and it also affected 17 other entities uh, within the uh, city of Philadelphia. They refused to contract with them because these entities, uh, particularly CSS, um, identified uh, that uh, marriage between a man and a woman is essential— towards any sort of foster care services uh, being rendered by them. Uh, in other words, they would not place children in homes where there wasn't a one-man, one-woman marriage. And so uh, the city uh, put up these, these contractual hurdles in front of them and said, okay, well, you, you're not gonna participate in our adoption and foster care uh, activities here. And CSS rightly said that this is, this is tantamount to a violation of our closely held belief And that case worked its way up through uh, the court system to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they came back with a resounding nine-to-nothing decision uh, affirming uh, religious liberty and saying that cities like Philadelphia have gone way too far and have not provided any sort of compelling uh, interest or compelling argument to be able to abridge uh, religious freedom um, rights uh, that belonged to organizations like CSS uh, in in doing this, and so it was a wholehearted rejection of uh, this sort of tactic being employed against faith based organizations in the foster and adoption space. And it's one that we are incredibly thankful for. And I, I think you know the big takeaway is as as others have articulated, um, religious liberty right now in the the kind of legal sphere is is probably at its most robust as it has ever been in American history and
1: I am I am just incredibly thankful uh for that. Brent that's a really good rundown and it is a huge huge win for religious liberty. Anytime you get one of these 90 rulings uh it is just so heartening especially like when it goes in the right direction and in this case what the Supreme Court basically said is that look religious liberty is fundamental and you don't have to agree with the things that a religion believes in order to allow people to live out their sincerely held beliefs. And uh, our colleague, uh, Chelsea Sobolik commented on this decision. She said today's Fulton decision is good news for children and families because we need a foster care system that welcomes all who are qualified to serve all who are in need. And she's, exactly right about that. She said, Christians and the institutions formed from our churches are critical to the foundation of the foster care in this country. Children are best served when we all work together. And if you read the Supreme Court's opinion, which I imagine most folks listening to this podcast aren't gonna take the time to do, which is totally okay, uh, you would find in there that over and over again, they just affirm the fact that in this case, uh, this Christian adoption agency is just asking for the, the permission to operate according to its sincerely held beliefs in order to continue serving children and placing them with families families. There's nothing uh, hateful or bigoted or spiteful about sincere believers seeking to act on the basis of their faith, uh, which, is the, which is the whole point uh, behind religious freedom in this country. And so we were just so heartened by this Fulton decision. It is one more example. Uh, 18 of the last 19 times, our friend uh, Luke Goodrich at Beckett points out that uh, religious liberty has been at the Supreme Court has been a, re- a win for religious liberty. This is an incredibly positive trajectory, and it gives us so much hope for the future.
0: And I just want to throw in a quote from Daniel Patterson, our acting president of the ERLC, that says a lot of what Chelsea said as well. But it summed up the important issues for me as someone who is trying to better understand the importance of this ruling. And it says, it's important to note as well that this decision prohibits no one from serving children. It simply ends state discrimination against religious groups. As Josh said, and Chelsea said, uh, we must all remember what matters most is caring for children. If government boxes out religious organizations and prohibits them from providing foster care and adoption services, the net effect is a massive shortage of available homes. Children in need should not be collateral damage in a culture war. And that sums it up beautifully for me, that it's first and foremost about the children, um, and then it's about our, uh, our religious liberty, and we are so thankful for this decision.
1: So that was a really helpful rundown of what's going on in uh, the Fulton decision on our website. You can find an explainer, you can find a press release, you can find a top quotes article. All of that stuff is really useful uh, to you to familiarize yourself with the importance of this decision without having to go through the process uh, of working through the complicated uh, court opinion yourself. Uh, It's just resources we put together to help people understand both our involvement in the case before the decision and also now that it's out there, what, what it means for us. And the good news is it's all good news. So that brings us to the big story in the week, at least from our world, as we walked through the SBC this week, it was, as we mentioned at the top of the show, just a really positive week in some in some ways that were quite surprising to us in other ways that uh, we, we shouldn't have been surprised and we are just really, really grateful. So I want to start with uh, just asking Brent and Lindsay to give us just just some like big picture top thoughts, like a, the top line thoughts of, of what the week was like for you and any, any big reflections going into it. And Lindsay, we'll start with you.
0: Well, I guess the first thing I want to say is sometimes it's like a giant party and you get to see all of your friends that you haven't seen in so long. And that is always what makes me happy about the Southern Baptist Convention. When you come face-to-face with people, or the annual meeting, I should say, you come face-to-face with people. You remember that your brothers and sisters in arms for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of uh, the church being built up, and people coming to know Christ, and— um, your brothers and sisters being sanctified and made to be more like Jesus, and uh, just being able to hug people, to catch up with them, to hear about ministry and and the things that they've been doing for the Lord in service to Him is always so thrilling. I'll have to say as well, um, one of the things that we did in our booth, we had an emphasis on our life work— And um, the way that we partner with pregnancy resource centers in order to provide ultrasound machines, which are life-saving machines, because moms are more likely to choose life if they see an image of their baby. So we've done this in, I believe, over 20 Pregnancy Resource Centers so far with plans for many more, Lord willing. But we had cards that people could fill out. They could write notes to abortion-vulnerable women, women who are on the cusp of making a decision literally between life and death for their child. And so uh, those who came to the booth could write a note to them, and then we were going to give those cards to the Pregnancy Resource Centers to give to those women as they were counseling them. And we heard so many encouraging stories. I heard two stories. One was this gentleman who his mom was one day away from aborting him when she was 15 years old and chose life. And then another guy was a similar story. His mom almost aborted him, uh, but didn't. And they were so moved by the ability to participate in this ministry and encourage those women to choose life. So that was definitely a highlight for me. And I know y'all will cover this here in just a minute, but another highlight was being able to see my coworkers and my friends be so encouraged by the support that we had at the annual meeting, um, not just because we want support or it's about the ERLC, but really just an affirmation of the importance of the work that we're doing uh, for the sake of churches and Christians around the world, that it's, it's not just throwaway work. It's, it's vital, it's important. And by and large, those brothers and sisters who are together with us in the Southern Baptist Convention are thankful for it and realize the value of that work.
1: Now, Lindsay, I thought that was, I thought that was really, really good. I'm gonna go ahead and get Brent in here and ask him what his thoughts are.
2: Yeah, I wanna pick up on, on something that, that Lindsay was talking about, about just you know folks coming to the annual meeting. And I, I think a source of uh why there has been so much seeming distraction within the convention is because we actually didn't meet last year in 2020 uh, for the first time since since World War II. And I just think that uh that the void that was created by not having an annual meeting it just allowed that that space to be filled um by some folks out there that 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 maybe were um astray uh from from what this convention of churches actually is which is a very conservative uh orthodox collection of nearly 50,000 churches um and we saw that play out yet again uh when when messengers gather there is a very clear direction that this convention Is going and continually reaffirms. We confirm every year biblical inerrancy. We confirm every year the dignity uh, of every human. We confirm uh, every year that we want to stop those actors uh, out there who would seek to take uh, preborn lives. Uh, We confirm that we do want to figure out ways to combat the scourge of sexual abuse. Uh, we confirm that we will always stand for religious liberty, not in a very narrow sense, but in the Baptist tradition of robust religious freedom. Those are themes that this convention continually returns to. And we didn't have that opportunity last year. And so I think maybe some folks thought that that somehow um, – our convention was, was going away from these, these long-held uh, beliefs, but we come together again and once again we assert, no, these are the things that are important to Baptists. And so I was, I was um, really proud to see that, and uh, I'm really thankful for it because uh, when, when our messengers come together, they have charted a consistent course and uh, And I'm just thankful for the wisdom of our messengers.
1: Yeah, I think that's really well said, Brent. The um, when you think about the fact that we didn't have an annual meeting last year, you kind of forget that and this this year showed it that the annual meeting is a lot of things. One of the things it is, is basically a pressure release valve uh, for the kind of frustrations or tensions that can build up in a in a convention of churches that is as broad and as diverse as ours. Uh, you know, we have over forty six thousand churches, and we have you know about fourteen million members, and that's that's a lot of people trying to get along for a whole year. And when you don't have a chance to get together and talk to each other at all, uh, it, it can it can lead to to some real tension. Well, we get to the annual meeting, and a lot of that stuff that that seemed like it was just going to you know reach a boiling point. Uh, man, it was it really wasn't. Uh, we got in the room, we saw old friends, we hugged each other. Uh, probably like one of the biggest things that I took away from this meeting was just the sweet spirit of unity if you look at the presidential vote where it came down to a second ballot and you had Ed Lytton who ended up winning uh, versus Mike stone and Ed Litton won about 53 percent and Mike stone with about 47 percent you would think oh man that is fractured that is that is contentious but uh, that really doesn't tell the whole story if you could have gone back or if you could have been there with us and been in the room and watched people as we vote you know we have these book of ballots and the the cover of the ballots are it's a yellow cover and so every time we go to vote you hold this yellow uh, set of ballots up in the air uh, on so many votes and I would say probably the vast majority of votes uh, it was it was overwhelming the way the room was united and together and voting the same way on all of these things so yeah we may have had different uh, opinions about who should be the president and certainly not everybody was a part of those overwhelming votes but overwhelming means overwhelming it really was this United body that was that was moving in so many ways in the same direction and that was incredible uh, Lindsay, I loved what you said about the ERLC booth. Uh, we we had, you know, this ultrasound machines there and having conversations about the Psalm 139 and then also the t-shirt giveaway. And we got to have so many conversations with people. Uh, and so many people came up to us and thanked us for our work, uh, whether it's in the pro-life space or religious liberty or the other things we have going on and then uh, i did have i did have an opportunity to talk to a couple different people uh, probably 3 that uh, had questions about some things they had heard about, about the erlc and one of the best things that happened is i get to talk to that person face to face not over email not over, you know not nasty grams or whatever some real person walks up to me to ask me a sincere question and as i answered those questions uh, those people at the end of those conversations all 3 of them man they were they were positive uh, one of the guys wanted to hug me at the end uh, and so that was like totally fine and cool and uh, it was good good to be able to be with real people and to answer their questions. In fact, uh, another big takeaway for me, it was just the annual meeting reminds you, uh, sometimes we forget how awesome Southern Baptist can be. There are a lot. There were just so many great people that we got to uh, interact with and so many fun things going on. And it was, just, it was just really wonderful. But probably the biggest top line coming out of the SBC is what you were just talking about, Brent. It was the fact that we, we have a zero-tolerance approach to the issue of sexual abuse and that we have over, you know, the messengers overwhelmingly uh, voted to for an investigation to uh, address the questions and accusations surrounding whether or not uh, the executive committee or, or other or other people involved in this process uh, were attempting to stifle or silence or in any way circumvent uh, the efforts to address this issue head on. And so that's going to be something that's, that's ongoing by an independent third party. And that was something that particularly the survivor community, uh, those who have experienced uh, sexual abuse in Southern Baptist contexts, uh, were... Tremendously pleased by uh, it's something they've been advocating for for a long time, and they were they were overwhelmingly pleased to see the SBC uh, not only embrace this uh, investigation, but also uh, to formally add to our constitution and bylaws that if you are if your church. Refuses to take the right steps to address an issue of sexual abuse, uh, you will not be a, a, a cooperating church with the SBC, and that that was a pretty huge and fundamental thing. And so, those you know that that was the big story coming out of the convention. It was absolutely a move in the right direction, and it's something that we can be incredibly encouraged by as we try to deal with something that is truly horrible.
2: All right, Josh, you know as as you kind of were wrapping up there, it, it did bring to mind uh, one particular moment. You know, uh, you. You stood up. There was a there was a resolution on abortion um, where all of us uh, affirmed the goal of of ending abortion. I mean, we but heck, part of part of what has motivated us over the last six months and uh, will uh, so long as we are privileged uh, to be in these positions is to make abortion unthinkable. Um, but there was one point. You know, you you went up to the mic uh, to help the messengers that were gathered in the room. Uh, to understand the value of taking any opportunity we can uh, to save one additional life. And in in doing so, you you provided a window into what our strategy is at the ERLC. And so I was really thankful for that. Um, But in the moment, there were some very combative voices uh, online because, again, they (laughs) <laughs> they don't they don't take a Matthew 18 approach to this uh and come to you face to face. They do it online. And uh some of those voices they they called you a liberal. And this is not to be clear, this isn't a political term. Uh, because there are uh wonderful Christians out there uh who would say that they are more liberal in their political beliefs. So it's not that. This is this is all theological. And um I just think that's that's really interesting, right? So I'm, let me let me quote something here from Matthew 15. And he, Jesus, called the people to him and said to them, "Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person." And then just uh, a little bit later uh, in uh, Colossians three, uh, Colossians three eight, it says, "But now you must also rid yourselves." Of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And so I'm left with this this moment here that to me, it just kind of crystallized. Here's Josh, standing up before the assembled body of the convention of these churches and and really laying out a pro-life case, and I'm thankful for that, and Josh, I'm thankful for the fact that you went up the mic and said this, and yet you're being called this uh, by someone else, and in a sense, they're basically saying that you are a theological liberal, which anybody that knows Josh Wester or anybody that listens to this podcast knows is just categorically false— And they're calling you a liberal. But when I compare their actions, online in particular, they don't seem to actually be living as if what Jesus said, uh, as if uh, this letter to the Colossians is actually true, which would mean they themselves are not inerrantists, they are in fact the liberals. They are the theological liberals. Because if you don't live as if this is true, that is the very definition of being a theological liberal. And I just thought that was was interesting. And um, I just thought, you know, there is so much of the work that we do that, look, and, and we don't always do it perfectly, believe you me. We don't always do it perfectly. Uh, and, and we can take constructive criticism, and we can take advice on, on how to do things uh, better. And, and, and our commitment to the, the Southern Baptists that we serve is that we, were, we are always trying to do things with excellence. But to hear these kinds of criticisms that, you know, uh, basically are out there trying to uh, tell these people's uh, followers that in some way that someone like Josh— is not theologically Orthodox like that just blows my mind and in making that accusation, uh, these these individuals actually actually show that they are themselves what they accuse us of being. And so Josh, I just w- what was it like being in that moment and and how do you kind of process this?
1: Yeah, I mean, so t- taking a step back, I think for folks that don't really understand this process, so resolutions are basically statements every year that the Southern Baptist Convention makes. So there are these statements, uh, people submit them in advance. Uh, we have a resolutions committee that works through all of these resolutions that are submitted. I think this year they they received around 50 different submissions of those 50 They decided to bring out 10 uh, to recommend to the body, to affirm. And there were some really, really excellent ones, including Resolution 2, which was on race. Uh, There was a resolution on the Equality Act. There was a resolution on the Hyde Amendment. And and there were several others that were also really, really excellent. And so you can go and check all of those out. But uh, one among you know, probably nearly 40 that they did not bring out was this one uh, on the issue of abortion and abolition. And the reason they did not bring it out, even though they, they didn't give a ton of rationale from the stage, but it's apparent if you look at it, one, it represents a total departure from the way, that's the, the way that Southern Baptists have traditionally spoken about abortion, both in terms of the posture and in terms of the tone. And then secondly, because it takes what is to considered to be the, the most uh, hardline stance on fighting against abortion that basically says that anything short of total total abolition is completely unacceptable. Now, there were people trying to defend this resolution from the floor who kept saying, all we're saying in this resolution is that we're for the abolition of abortion. And if that were true, it would not have been controversial. In fact, if, if that had been true, the resolutions committee would have undoubtedly brought it out to the whole floor. Every Southern Baptist is for the abolition of abortion. You wouldn't be Southern Baptist if that was not the case. We want abortion to not only be illegal, we want it to be unthinkable. We want it to be a thing that never, ever, ever happens. But as the ERLC and as people who participate in, in the work of the pro-life movement and sometimes at the very highest levels, we understand that right now we live in a country where Roe versus Wade is the thing that that is, it is the outer limit. It, it requires all 50 states to technically, legally have abortion as an option. Well, the pro-life movement has been working to chip away at that protection and those foundations in a thousand different ways. We have informed consent laws. We have heartbeat bills. We have pain-capable bills. We have partial birth abortion bills. We have all of these tools that we use legislatively to try to reduce the number of abortions. And like Brent said a minute ago, you know, we, we would believe that if it was only going to save one life— that any of those kinds of bills would be worth it. But the truth is, those kinds of bills don't just save one life. Right now, they're saving thousands and thousands of lives in states across the country. And so I stood up to try to make the case that while every person in the room shares the goal being offered in that resolution, that we are for the abolition of abortion, we absolutely disagree with the tactic that it says is required, because it would t- it would strip away from the pro life movement all of these other measures. It would take all of these tools off the table, and it would it would put us in a position where we're trying to fight the fight for life with our arms tied behind our backs. There, there there's no way that that is actually the position that Southern Baptists want to take, and it was it was difficult to hear it misrepresented, even in the room where where they were being less than forthcoming about all that was entailed in that resolution. So I I stood up to try to make that case. That as someone who is ardently, passionately pro-life, as someone who has who is an adoptive father, who has a little girl who's four years old, and she is my little girl because her mother chose life. I've spent time in my life working, uh, diligently serving at local crisis pregnancy centers, uh, seeing the miraculous, amazing work that they do there. It is life-giving, life-saving work. Uh, Writing about this issue, speaking about this issue, just trying to make the case, Southern Baptists, we are resolutely against abortion. We want to see abortion ended right this minute, but we have to keep fighting Facing the reality of, of where we are at this time, please don't take these tools off the table. don't don't affirm this statement. And as I was doing that, e- even laying all of those pro-life credentials and holding the newest edition of light magazine in my hand, which Lindsay absolutely led the charge on it, and put the whole thing together uh, which is on it focuses on pro-life issues. it's about the fight for life and it's about where we're headed. There was someone, uh, not just one person, but many people, but one person in particular uh, who is, you know, uh, significant in the Southern Baptist Convention. Who, in real time, uh, labeled the position I was taking and me myself as a liberal, and that was nothing more than a than a smear tactic. It was something to try to discredit me and, and the the work that the ERLC does, and it's disgusting. It's disgusting because we are. We're fellow believers. We disagree on so so many things, but we don't disagree on this. We're we're both anti as anti-abortion as a person can be, and we disagree about tactics. And who cares? We're both fighting. Let's keep fighting. But you're right, Brent. There, this effort uh, because it's not a new thing to uh, disparage and discredit people who you disagree with. That there is a wing of of Southern Baptists right now that are particularly vocal and they have done it. And and I'm just the latest in a long, long list of people that they have gone after like this. And so Brent, you brought it back around to scripture. I'll bring it back around to scripture too. Uh, James in James one verse 22, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. There is no question. The Bible tells us in the book of first John that if we claim to love God, but hate our brother, we are lost that we are walking around in darkness And so look, that's just a challenge uh, for all of us going forward. Uh, I am Anybody who knows me at all, or or has followed me, or, or talked to me for more than five seconds, knows that the idea that I'm a uh, liberal is just absolutely ridiculous. And this is not so much to defend my character as just tell you who I am. Uh, I am. I mean, I think of myself as a conservative. Conservative. I'm conservative politically. I'm conservative theologically. I'm a biblical inerrantist. I'm a complementarian. I'm all. <laughs> I'm all the things that, de- that define uh, conservatism, e- either in a political or a theological sense. And the Southern Baptist Convention is too. At least on the theological side, uh, there are. There are not liberals that we're dealing with. And so uh, bringing it back around to something that that Lindsey said earlier, uh, it wasn't just me. Uh, he, the New York Times, after Ed Lytton was elected, uh, had a headline that that called him basically a moderate pastor who has won the SBC presidency. And I don't expect the New York Times to have to be able to appreciate this. But like when we think back to the conservative resurgence that happened in the 1980s, where the Southern Baptist Convention uh, was, through years of hard work, was moved decidedly in the right direction, saying we are not going to abandon our, our fervent belief that that the Word of God is the Word of God, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna stand. On the truth of God's word, when the Southern Baptist Convention was going through that, the, the people that they were uh, that were opposed to that, they were called the moderates or or the liberals. And so that is a is a boogeyman bad word in SBC life and SBC history. And so when you use that, you you would do it on purpose. If you're somebody who is an insider at all, you would use that language only to to smear or besmirch uh, somebody's character. And so uh, Ed Litton is no moderate. He is, uh, he, he said it yesterday in an interview on CNN. He said, look, I'm conservative in my politics. I'm conservative in my theology. I'm a conservative guy. And that is what I hope people understand is that there is not any kind of liberal insurgency happening in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Juan Sanchez said on the stage at Baptist 21 a few weeks ago that, uh, or a few days ago, that we are not experiencing liberal drift. What is happening right now is we have a fundamentalist insurgency. And that is, uh, that's what we're facing right now. And look, I love, I love, uh, all of my brothers and sisters in the Southern Baptist Convention, even those that I disagree with about some some things. Uh, but I hope, I really pray, and I hope that you'll join us in praying this, that we can air our disagreements and we can work through our disagreements without being uncharitable, without being unkind, and certainly without being un like That happened this week, and it was unfortunate.
0: Yeah, Josh, I'm sorry that that uh, you were attacked in that way and uh, that there was this smear campaign against you, you know, it's terrible, and it's it it's never justified. And really what it reminds me of, because a lot of this has been happening on Twitter, especially for a really long time, it reminds me to constantly be checking my own heart as well. Because when my response is to want to come back at, you know, these people who may very well be actual brothers and sisters in Christ— um, in a derogatory way or whatever it might be, I, I know my own heart and when it's wrong, um, then I am acting—I'm no better than they are in that moment in the way that I'm acting. So it's just a constant reminder to me to be guarding myself and watching myself and keeping my heart with all vigilance, which I am not good at. The Bible says, "'Because from it flow the wellsprings of life.'" And so, as believers, we have just got to constantly be on guard, and we have got to fight to love one another. It sounds counterintuitive, but we have to fight our own sin in order to love one another. And um, we have to constantly be praying. And and we've got to, if we're going to pray for our enemies, then we sure as well, sure as well, need to be praying for um, those who feel like enemies who claim to be brothers and sisters in Christ. So. That is just a long monologue about where I've been convicted in this as well. And in just all of this infighting. And I pray that the Lord would use this momentum from um SBC, the annual meeting, to uh, to just bring a sense of unity and bring about repentance where repentance is needed. And yeah, Josh isn't a liberal, just in case anybody's wondering. Uh, neither is Ed Litton. And um he believes Josh believes the Bible clings to what the Bible teaches and what those who, throughout centuries have been holding to that are considered orthodox beliefs. Um and if he was a liberal, we'd go, we'd uh don't worry, me and Brent would take him out back and take care of him. Just kidding.
1: <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Lindsay.
2: Right. I mean, that just <laughs> th- I mean, that just reminds me like during the conservative resurgence, like th- there were actual theological liberals and they probably would attest to that even to this day who like denied the Trinity and denied the bodily resurrection of Jesus like these are very fundamental things Th- those are actual liberals and I would honestly I would include in that list people who exhibit the most unchrist-like behavior Th- those are people those are individuals who are not living as if the Bible is true and everything contained in it is truth. And Josh is certainly not one of those.
1: Well, I appreciate both of you guys so much. Um, You know, I I affirm uh, the Danvers statement, the Chicago statement, the Nashville statement. Uh, But most importantly, I affirm that the Bible is the word of God. You know, I, I love and cling to the scriptures and Jesus is my very best friend. And look, you know, it's okay. The, the, the thing I prayed uh, before the SBC started, because I mean, people who listen to this podcast know we were bracing for uh, the SBC to potentially go a very different direction, and, and it really didn't. I mean, the, the, feeling I had walking out of that convention hall at the Music City Center on Wednesday when it was all over was just unbelievable gratitude. I felt like my heart was going to explode because I was just so grateful to God uh, to to be reminded because uh, I think a lot of people expected it to go bad. We expected, uh, you know, hard votes to go the wrong way and then the spirit to be fractious and contentious and divided, and it wasn't. Instead, there was so much unity, so much joy, uh, and such good memories uh, that Man, it it was actually something I'll look back on fondly as opposed to anything that I'll try not to remember. So uh, to get off the heavy and to maybe end on a high note, uh, let me ask you guys, what were some of the fun, best, favorite, whatever, you know, category you want uh, to use to describe it? But what, what were some of those moments for you guys? And if you take too long, I'm just going to jump in with mine.
0: <laughs> no, you can start it off.
1: Okay, well, I have two uh, in particular that I wanted to bring uh, to you guys because one of them has gone viral, and the other one is I just saw this morning is starting to make it, make the round. So uh, one of the highlights, our top headlines coming out of the SBC that is totally unrelated to any of the actual business of the convention is something known as AC Guy. Uh, in the middle of uh, day. One so on Tuesday when we had been in the convention hall, I think for like five hours straight, we were just voting. Uh, it was like Votorama, and it was packed out in that room. There was standing room only, and there wasn't even much room to stand. And it was hot. I mean, it was like already hot outside in the Tennessee summer, and it was hot in that room in a way that was just terrible. I got up one time uh, to go to a microphone uh, on a day I didn't end up speaking, and when I stood up, the people around me were so relieved because just one body being removed from all of that that long line of people uh, just made it cooler in that spot. It was unbelievable. Anyway, AC guy gets up in the middle, and this is a uh, young guy. He's, uh, I think, in his early 20s. His name's David Baumgartner. He went to the microphone and just made this pretty passionate uh, appeal to uh, to JD as the chair to please turn on the air. And uh, it got a just – It got absolute enthusiastic applause and was very well received. It was a very funny clip. I'll link to it in the show notes uh, so that you can find it. And the other one uh, was a friend of mine who got up to speak against an amendment that had been offered. It was uh, Pastor Clint Presley, who's a pastor uh, right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And he got up to speak against an amendment. But the way that it all went down was that the amendment was actually ruled out of order by the chair instead of – having to go through the whole uh, floor process or whatever. And so Clint got up to speak against it. And if you don't know Clint, he is, I, I would guess he's probably 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and he is all muscle. And uh, he looks kind of like a like if, if a bull was a human, that would be the way I would describe him. And uh, anyway, he gets up to the microphone to speak against his amendment. And then JD responds says, ah, uh, Clint, uh, I really don't want to do this to you. We actually, I, that was just ruled out of order. So there's there's no reason to speak to it. So that would be out of order. And Clint said to JD, that. said, you rolling me out of order, JD. And JD said, uh, I really don't want to. Um, I'm so, please don't flex at me. And it was just a hilarious moment in the room. So I'll link to that one too. So you can have AC Guy and don't flex at me at the same time.
0: I think the AC Guy is pretty much everyone's favorite because you can imagine you get a, a bunch of Southern Baptists, especially men, uh, in a convention hall. There's, uh, there's a lot of hot air. So uh, it is... <laughs> Just because a lot of the guys are in suits, uh, some of them are um, larger men, and then, you know, they they like to talk and hear themselves talk a lot. I'm just poking fun, and two of you are the men, so nobody take offense, please. And if you are offended, send uh, the mail to Josh, the email to jwester at erlc.com. Uh, Dean and Sarah has these things he does on Twitter called the Lotties. Josh had to remind me of that. Of course, with a nod to the offices, the Dundies. So you should go check those out. Those are fun. Uh,
1: we can link to them in the show notes.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. I don't think he had the AC guy on there. And then uh, another person he didn't mention was uh, Dana Hall McCain. And somebody responded and said that she should be homecoming queen. Um, I didn't hear yes. this, but apparently she got up and gave a response. Can you tell more about that?
1: Yes, yeah, so it was in the— um it was in the resolutions committee report where I think they were doing the one on the Hyde Amendment, if I have that right. And she, uh, somebody I think, offered an amendment that would have, again, been a departure from the SBC's posture toward women because the way that we have chosen to talk about—and this is not just the SBC, this is the pro-life movement uh, in general—is that we we see the enemy in the fight for life as the abortion lobby, uh, those who are in the abortion industry who are profiting off of. Uh, the destruction of innocent human beings. I mean, those people are predators, and they are uh, they are absolutely uh, deserving of any kind of scorn or condemnation. But we have tried to carve out unbelievable charity when it comes to the women who find themselves in these positions. And so, some somebody offered an amendment that would have addressed uh, the women who are potentially uh, abortion vulnerable in ways that were uh, very with a lot of condemnation. And and Dana spoke against that amendment in a very like winsome and beautiful way, uh, just out of her own story and experience about, being, about volunteering and working with women at crisis pregnancy centers. And it really absolutely won the room and put us back on track to affirm what the SBC has always said ab- about this issue.
0: She is such a trusted voice. And again, if you don't follow her, you can find her on Twitter as well. And then the last thing I'll say is, J.D. Greer uh, is just the consummate game show host. So I think he just always needs to host the annual meeting.
2: Yeah. If there's a position of like MC Emeritus uh, of the annual meeting, like JD needs to hold that in perpetuity because, uh, he always provides helpful moments of levity at the exact right moment. Um, and uh, I am just so thankful for him. Another uh, individual and leader within the SBC that I'm thankful for is Adam Greenway. Uh, he has had the unenviable task of being the the chair of the Committee on the Order of Business, which just kind of helps move things along uh, logistically. And he performed that service with flying colors, uh, always helping to walk uh, the annual meeting messengers uh, through just some very – um uh, arduous robert's rules of order procedure and uh and i'm just uh, i'm really thankful for him and you know probably a, a moment um that wasn't seen by a lot of people but uh i got to to be there in person was ed linton's uh first uh, press conference uh right after he was named president uh it was just a great affirming moment uh in the sense of uh he talked about the essential need uh, for the ERLC and the work that we do. And, you know, as, as y'all can imagine, um, the, the, the last several weeks uh, with the departure of, of Dr. Moore, um, who we just love and cherish and, and, and loved serving him and carrying out his vision for the ERLC, um, you know, that, that's, been, that's been tough uh, living through uh, that departure. Uh, but to uh, to come to the annual meeting with about sixteen thousand messengers and just continually uh, hear uh, that that folks see the work that we do and appreciate it, and even if they have questions, uh, they they know that that we are uh, really trying to serve our ministry assignment um, is great. But then to hear it from the brand new elected SBC president. Um, that was just that was just a sweet moment, and and one that I'm I'm really thankful that I got to see and you know immediately share with our team as it happened.
1: Brent, that was a super helpful uh, or just thoughtful uh, reflection just then. And uh, as we were trying to conclude our time here uh, for this kind of rundown episode, let's just do some final thoughts uh, from each of us. Lindsay, why don't you go first?
0: You well, first of all, I just want to say that I appreciate you, brothers and friends, even though. Brant gives me too much of a hard time sometimes. Uh, I'm grateful for y'all's faithful work. You spent many, many, many more hours um, at the annual convention than I did. I was more home with uh, the baby this time around. But anyway, I'm thankful for your hard work. I'm thankful that y'all are men of conviction and integrity and who, most of all, want to follow Christ. And... Even just saying that reminds me And leading up to the next annual convention, which is in Anaheim, which, come on now, we can all go to Disneyland, ERLC staff outing to Disneyland. How fun would that be?
1: That's what I'm talking about, Lindsay.
0: I'm all about that. So let's let's get that in the works. Uh, It just reminds me that, number one, again, as Brent said, the work— that we are privileged to do at the ERLC on behalf of Southern Baptists and Christians all over the world um, is important and valuable work, not because we're doing it and it gives us a job, but because it helps prepare the way for people to hear the gospel and respond to Christ, and it helps uh, believers to grow in their walk with Christ, Um, or to sum up the greatest commandments, to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. And those are things that I am learning personally as somebody who works at the ERLC. So thank you to the messengers and to everyone that was so supportive of us in the midst of this uh, time of transition in our organization. And then second of all, along the lines of what I was saying when we're talking about Josh being called a liberal, that— we need to be people who are looking ahead to the next meeting, but but more than that, who are going into our churches and our communities and cooperating together as Southern Baptists. We need to be people of prayer and people of the Word and people who are praying the Word um, instead of uh, fighting and attacking one another online, um, instead of taking offense when people do attack us because it's going to happen. Uh, the Bible is clear about that. Um we need to be praying and and pleading that the lord would make us a unified people for the sake of god's glory and for the sake of a world watching us looking at us to see what our god is like and um we need to be praying that the lord would give us the grace to give them an accurate picture so that they would be drawn to him
2: yeah and the you know the the life work that we do i mean obviously that really resonated uh, with Southern Baptists as it rightfully should, and you know that was the core of uh, what our acting president Daniel Patterson uh, presented in our message to the annual meeting, our report to the annual meeting that we do each year. And um, you know, y'all, you should you should be praying for Daniel. He's you know kind of leading our organization through this time of transition, and and this is not something that he ever expected to do. Certainly didn't sign up for it. Um, but he's been doing it. He's been doing a great job with it. And um, and so he needs your prayers uh as as we continue and uh begin the the search for the the next president of the RLC. Um and so, you know, but the core of that message was taken from Psalm 139 and uh just a few uh chapters before that uh is Psalm 133. Um and that was actually uh, where my mind went um, as the annual meeting concluded, because there is a song that um, some some friends of the RLC, Keith and Kristen Getty, uh, wrote a, a few years ago called "Oh How Good It Is," and I just love the opening of the song. It says, "Oh how good it is when the family of God dwell together in spirit, in love, and unity." where the bonds of peace, of acceptance, and love are the fruits of his presence here among us. And I just think that, that that's exactly what happens uh, each and every time that Baptists get together uh, for our annual meeting. Um, we come away more unified, uh, more clarified in our, our mission uh, to reach the world, to, to live out the Great Commission, and uh, a lot of affirmation uh, that, that what we do at the RLC is good and needed work, and it glorifies uh, the holy name of Jesus. And I'm thankful that uh, we get to do that.
0: Amen, Brent. And I forgot one thing. You mentioned it in what you were just saying, but uh, and Josh mentioned it earlier, but our, our latest edition of Light Magazine, which is our magazine that comes out twice a year, our latest edition just dropped at the SBC, and it is on Pro-life issues. It's called the Road to Row Fifty. So then that refers to the fiftieth anniversary of Roe v. Wade, uh, and the subtitle is the future of the pro-life movement. So if you want to be equipped to engage in the pro-life movement, to stand for life, to be a voice for the for those who don't have a voice yet, uh, I would encourage you to go online. You'll be able to find that magazine online, where you can read the articles, you can download the PDF, or you can subscribe to get a hard copy. It is it's beautiful. Our designer did an excellent, excellent job as always. And we have just quality articles by quality people who live out what they're writing. So I would, I would encourage you to go check that out.
1: Thank you both for that. And I'll just add my own take, which is to say that I think the Southern Baptist convention is in a good place and it is moving in a great direction. Uh, this, uh, two day business meeting was one of the most encouraging things that I've been a part of in quite some time. And that is not what I was expecting. I was expecting to walk away with a heavy heart, or to have at least, at the very best, mixed feelings. And instead, I'm overwhelmingly uh, optimistic and positive about the progress that we was made, that was made, about the uh, direction that we have shown, uh, the resolutions we affirmed, uh, the president we elected, the uh, the direction of the Southern Baptist Convention is really, really encouraging to me. And I I pray that this will make it easier, not harder, for more people to be Southern Baptists and to be proud of that. And one of the biggest things, honestly, we keep using the word SBC, uh, but is the continued and increasing focus on our identity as Great Commission Baptists, as the people who are about the Great Commission, reaching the nations, discipling them, teaching them all that Christ commanded us to do. And I... I think that's incredible because that's a kingdom vision. That's a vision of a denomination of churches that is much larger than one, you know, geographic region in one country, but it is global. And it is, uh, that is the identity that we want to have. We want to be people that belong to God, uh, that worship Christ uh, in every corner of the globe. And yes, I know globes don't have corners, but I am incredibly grateful for what happened at the SBC this week, for all the friends that I got to see, for uh, just the joy of singing, uh, you know, songs and worship unto God with thousands of my brothers and sisters. And for the fact that, like Brent said, when Southern Baptists get together and they get in the room, uh, they make great decisions. They did it this year. And it was so, so encouraging. And so uh, we're leaving on a high note and we are just grateful to God for it. And so, uh, thanks for hanging out with us as we were here just to run down uh, this week at the SBC. And if you weren't able to be there, we would encourage you uh, to consider attending an annual meeting in the future. If you're on the West Coast, we'll be out in Anaheim uh, next year. And I think a lot of us are going to try to make the very most of it. And then we will be in Charlotte, North Carolina, the following year. So, uh, if, if you're East Coast, West Coast, uh, it'll be a good opportunity for you to be a part of the action. And we would encourage you to come and join us. But for now, uh, that's going to do it for the show today. We just ask you if you like the podcast to help us spread the word by leaving us a rating or a view in your podcast app or going on social media and sharing this episode with your friends. Uh, it just helps more people discover the show. And we are always grateful when uh, people take the opportunity to, to share the podcast with others. But for Brent and Lindsay and myself, we just want to say thanks so much for listening. And we look forward to being back next week with your regular rundown and
0: more content.